for me, the connectedness of all things is how I, I see life, is how I see other people, our relationship to the earth herself. I don't see separation. I don't experience separation. That's what I want our show to be about, to help other people begin to move in that direction if they're not already there, to begin to appreciate that reality and to find ways to step into it. Hello, I'm Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Welcome. Your journey of conscious evolution continues right here, right now. Have you ever had one of those moments when you knew a force greater than yourself was moving people and situations to make something happen on your behalf? And even more important, have you ever had a mystical experience, perhaps a transpersonal or metaphysical moment that transformed your life? Well, you're not alone. This show is the beginning of something exciting for me, a new series I'm calling Main Street Mystics with co-host Paul Mills. This series was crafted by a force greater than myself. So let me explain. I began a conversation with Ariel Patricia, publisher of Sacred Stories and the Common Sentience book series. I wanted to introduce you to all the wisdom keepers that were the authors of the series, experts on all kinds of topics from angels and ancestors to ascension and animals. The series covers shamanism, meditation, nature, guides, and more. I wanted to pair each of these authors with experts from the field of science and consciousness studies and ground the spiritual and mystical wisdom with what we know from science the knowledge, and the wisdom. There's nothing out of the ordinary about any of that. However, in a moment of divine inspiration, Ariel said, Have you met Paul Mills? In a flash of moment, the entire series took on a life of its own. She sent me a copy of the book, Science, Being, and Becoming, The Spiritual Life of Scientists, and immediately... I knew the universe had something special in store. Not only are we going to pair these authors and wisdom keepers with scientists, but we are going to introduce you to scientists who have had their own mystical, transpersonal, and metaphysical experiences. Scientists who understand that the spiritual is the final frontier for science. And Paul Mills is leading the way. I invite you to take a few conscious breaths with me. Bring your awareness into your heart. Relax and open your mind. Settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce my guest, my co-host for this new series. Dr. Paul Mills is Professor of Public Health and Family Medicine at the University of California, San Diego. He has over 400 scientific publications in the fields of pharmacology, oncology, cardiology, psychoneuroimmunology, behavioral medicine, and integrative health. He's the author of the new book I just mentioned, Science, 
being and becoming the spiritual lives of scientists. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Julie. I'm so pleased, enthused, excited, actually, for, for this new series we're putting together. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Oh, I am too. I feel like I feel like a child on Christmas Eve, literally, like from my tradition that Christmas Eve was so exciting. I couldn't wait and I couldn't wait to see what, what was going to bring. And then even as, a, as an adult, like planning and preparing that day for my, my children, this is what I feel like, like all of our listeners are the kids that I plan something really special for. And I'm, I'm so excited to have you here. And so I, I have had a traditional first question for over nine years on this show, Paul, and now we're in the 10th year, and I'm really wanting to get it, bring it into a more personal, intimate, right up front from the head to the heart. So I'm going to ask you, you are a respected, accomplished scientist and a deeply spiritual being, and from the perspective of both the scientist and the personal, from the head and the heart, I'm wondering what all things connected means to you? That's a wonderful, thought-provoking question. All things connected, for me, is really the reality of things as they exist. For me, it reminds me of what I admire the most about your work, which is the recognition of the evolution of consciousness towards wholeness. You've also spoken about it, this movement of humanity back to a unity, but a different kind of unity, than, say, we left from the spiritual world originally. So for me, the connectedness of all things is how I, I see life, is how I see other people, our relationship to the earth herself. I don't see separation. I don't experience separation. That's what I want our show to be about, to help other people begin to move in that direction if they're not already there, to begin to appreciate that reality and to find ways to step into it. Mm, beautiful. You know what? I just I just want to pause and presence that I asked you from a professional and a personal, and there was no separation in your response either. It wasn't like science is teaching us, and I experienced. It was all one response. I love that. So mm. thank you, Paul. So we're just going to have this conscious jam session between the two of us, but I have some questions for you. You have some questions for me. We're going to learn how to work together. This is our very first show introducing this topic. I don't know if I ever told you this, Paul. So this is going to be kind of a surprise, this first real question. You open in the introduction of your book with a story about a meditation where you encounter vast consciousness that you began communicating with about the future of humanity. And I'm going to read a paragraph for our listeners so that they can hear what I'm talking about. And then I'm going to ask you about that experience. And then I'll share the surprise part of it. I think the surprise part is a part of what I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, that there's a force greater than ourselves that have brought us together, you and I. Okay. So let me open I, this amazing book. I love this book, Paul. I love this book. Okay. And then the paragraph. Let's see. You write, as I wondered what this future event might be, the consciousness communicated to me 
that humanity is unique in the universe, and that after further developing our consciousness, one day humanity will manifest something that has never before been manifested in our physical dimension. As it communicated this into my mind, I saw an image of the earth from space. And while it spoke, there emerged, spreading across the globe, a vast, white, goldish-colored light that will one day be produced by a more evolved, collective consciousness we call humanity. It was a beautiful and inspiring sight. What is it that will one day be manifested? I'm going to pause there so the mystery stays with those who want to pick up this book and read. But Paul, share with us more about that experience. Just hearing you read that brief section, uh, it certainly produces emotion in me because it was such a profound experience. I had during the course of my, let's say, spiritual life, and it was really my spiritual life that led me to science, had encountered beings, uh, we commonly say, from the spiritual world. And honestly, prior encounters, I had always recognized a similar consciousness to the consciousness that I have. It wasn't ever anything foreign, but you hadn't mentioned that one section of that reading, but this was a very foreign consciousness to me. And it literally, as you described, showed me what the future of humanity is and our responsibility, the reason we were created, which is what it told me that this is why humanity was created, is to bring this new force into this level of what we call material existence. And as best as I was able to understand it, because again, this was a kind of a foreign conscious to me and utterly vast, it's love. It's basically love Humanity will bring through our own evolved consciousness love into this material existence, this this plane that we all live in currently. And then ultimately, as a result of that, it will transform the qualities of this physical existence as humanity and the earth herself and beyond moves move on into another um, phase of our collective evolution. Mm. Okay. Are you ready for what I've never told you before? <laughs> I hope so. I'm sitting down. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it's a surprise to you because I don't think out of all the times that we've had conversation, I shared this with you in this detail. But when I read this in your book, it was just this, like, of course, we're together now to, to bring this series here. When I was 11 years old, I had a very similar experience. And I'll save it and we can go into more later but i was well let me just share from this one place as an 11 year old i was a already a, a child mystic i had had a, a near death experience when i was 4 years old and over the next 7 years i began dialogue with these other realms of consciousness these other what have you i always said i walked in both worlds and so at 11 i was feeling so down and overwhelmed. I was in a place of, of of a lot of domestic violence, abuse, neglect, chemical dependency. That that the home front was pretty ugly, and I was so in touch with what was going on on the planet as an eleven year old. I was watching these commercials on TV with starving children in Africa, and and it just broke my heart. And I would be like, 
oh, why? And I went out in, on the outside and I sat on the grass and I said to God, creator, source, this other consciousness that I communicated with. And I said, I don't get humans. I don't understand humans. Why do they treat each other the way they do? I don't want to be here. Like, you know, can't I go home? Let's, let's get on with this already. And that induced one of my prophetic experiences on the planet where literally I transcended, ascended up into the cosmos and we were watching the planet. There was a, a being with me and we were watching the planet like it was a snow globe, like it was this hovering earth in my awareness at the time. And this consciousness, much like you described, began communicating with me in the same way, more telepathic, with images and a sense of knowing. And at that point, I saw the evolution of consciousness on our planet. It's how I've described it for the last, I don't want to say how many years. And literally, what I saw was very similar to you. I saw points of light igniting in a first phase. And then I saw the points of light connecting in a second phase of this. And then I just saw it beginning to weave. And all of these points of light became this white, yellow light glowing around the planet that that's what was to happen. And it would be this embodied new whatever, like it's hard to have words, right? But I saw it in that same way that you described at the end, and really this whole planet that wakes itself into this unitive place of humanity being a part of that, like humanity being an integral part of Gaia and Gaia's evolution of of consciousness. So I don't think I've ever shared that before. Tell me. Oh, share. Tell me. I I, (laughs) I would love to hear you just respond to that. and, And yeah, let's muse on that for a minute. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. You hadn't mentioned it. And I love hearing it because as you're saying, it it brings more of a sense of reason why uh, we've come together to do this show, because we both have this similar vision of the future of the earth, humanity's specific role in bringing it about. And that was the reason I, I wrote the book that you mentioned, uh, because I wanted to have an understanding of what have I as a scientist been doing to contribute to this eventual manifestation on Earth. And then, well, not only me as a scientist, but what have other scientists been doing? Are we advancing movement towards this beautiful uh, manifestation, or are we impeding it? How do I help? What do I do? And uh, now we're together. We're going to do this show and we're going to explore it and uh, come up with new insights and ideas and just a beautiful unfoldment. That's that's what I'm imagining and seeing. Yeah, me too. You wrote this beautiful book and it's filled with stories just like mine, just like yours from many different scientists. I don't know how many you have in the book. How many scientists do you have in this book? About 30. About 30. 30. And you're going to work on book two. So we'll talk a little bit more about your book, um, perhaps later in this show and as we move on. But I just want to presence that here we are, like this force brought us together. And like you, I am thrilled to do this. I'm like, like this series is, is so exciting. Why do you want to do this 
series. Like the stranger like calls you out of nowhere, or I guess Ariel and Kurt Johnson introduced us via email and said, Hey, you guys need to meet. And Julie's saying, Hey, I have an idea and you're perfect for it. We're both excited. And it is almost a a synthesizing and synergizing of our work. And I think our lifetime, like, right, of converging this vast consciousness that we've Mm -hmm. encountered with this series of really bringing a message to the world. So I'm wondering if if you have any specific intentions for this show, what is important to you as we move forward in this series? A couple of things. And one of them, since you mentioned this vast consciousness again, part of my intention for the series is to help reorient us as humanity in a new direction. You shared uh, when you had your NDE at four years old and then your experience again at 11 and many others between then and now, your appreciation of what humanity is really about. Yes, we've been living in separation, and we can speak about this, but from my point of view, there's a reason for that. That was a good reason for it, and now it's time to move on. Part of our movement towards overcoming separation and moving into unity, from my point of view, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is in part for us as individual human beings and humanity to recognize our place in the cosmos, our greater relationship with cosmology itself. What do I mean by that? I mean, let's wake up, recognize there are vast forces and consciousnesses, let's say consciousness minds, other beings that are here, that we actually are in relationship with already, even though we've been asleep to it. But it's time to wake up to those relationships because those relationships are in part the key for us to make our next step. Not only as far as our spiritual evolution, but I think it'll also help us. We need these next steps to develop our human evolution, which I'd love to speak with you about too, getting back to Aurobindo's work, Steiner's work. Uh, Matthew Fox speaks a lot about this in his creation spirituality. We, we need to take a step. And it's not to leave our humanity. It's to develop our humanity to fulfill its reason. And at the same time, that will take us to our cosmology. Our cos- let's say our cosmological inheritance. Mm. Now our listeners can see why you are the co-host for this series. I love this. And, you know, so I, I do feel very similar in my purpose for this series. I know over the last perhaps couple of decades, probably more important in the last decade, has been that when I talk about these experiences that I've had in the awakening of consciousness with others, I often will have people say, well, I haven't had a near-death experience, so how can I have this? You know, how can I have an awakening? Or how can I, and I I feel like more and more, like literally we're all waking in different ways. And you shared a quote, on your mentors chapter that I really loved mentors and allies chapter by Robert Frost. And it said, I'm not a teacher, but an awakener. And I I love this idea. There's so much resistance with spiritual teachers and mentors to the inference that we're teaching or mentoring that it's a hierarchy of sorts. You know what I mean? Like there's this power over relationship when we go to the traditional guru or the master teachers. And yet along with direct experience, like a near-death experience. If you haven't had a near-death experience, it's okay, you know? And 
words in a book can wake us. Like reading a story of a scientist in your book could go, ah, when I was a kid. And then really integrating and embodying that piece can help with awakening. Poetry, like Robert Frost is another way. A good speaker, a podcast, an event, something someone even said at a cocktail party can be a transformative moment that acts as a catalyst for the awakening. So I'm wondering what this word awakener means to you, if there's any negative connotation. I just was in a meeting uh, last week and someone said, well, mentor assumes there's someone over someone else. And I'm like, no, sometimes it's just you know, a step or two ahead of us on a path. It doesn't have to be this hierarchical thing of of more importance or value or something like that. Do you have a thought about awakener and awakening and what we're bringing to the show? You're mentioning this idea of an awakener and a mentor. And as you mentioned, I, I have a whole section in the in the book, a whole chapter on the mentor and the role of the mentor. And I don't look at mentors as someone better necessarily, but just somebody who's gathered a certain kind of expertise and training in an area that I don't have yet. I've had mentors that are younger than I am. I've had mentors that are older than I am. It's more a matter of just being willing to recognize that there's an opportunity here. It could be for just a few moments, or it might end up being a mentorship over years and years. But I think on our evolutionary consciousness journey, Mentors play a big role. And and as also, as you said, from my point of view, there are, let's say, awakening opportunities all the time. We just need to be listening and have an orientation to that. And that's one of the things I'd like to ask you eventually is, I know you've spoken a lot about that inner voice you have that guides you. In some ways, I know that we all have the capacity for that. But how do you recommend and uh, help people begin to hear that and orient toward it? towards it to move forward. Don't need to answer that now, but uh, when it fits in. Well, let's, let's just, let's go there since you brought it up. Um, fill your question out for me. Let's, let's, yeah, let's pause there and, mm. and, and go into that. Okay. We spoke earlier about the state of separation. Most people live in a state of separation, which many of the great ancient traditions will let us know that that is actually an illusion. It's an illusion created by having too much of an identification with our egoic mind-body system. Sometimes we could just simply call that some degree of egotism. But when we step out of that identification, then we move into unity, into the perception of oneness. And one of the scientists I interviewed in the book said, we have a very interesting instinct, in addition to all the ones we read about in biology, and she calls it the I am instinct. And it's essentially, from our deep spiritual soul level, always this movement, this voice, this propensity driving us forward to realize our essential nature, our I am nature, beyond egoic identification. That instinct, let's say, is always there. And it's always trying to find its way into the noise of our mind, into the noise of media, into the noise of whatever it is that has captivated us and captured our attention. And the question is then, uh, regarding you, for example, you have this inner voice you've been hearing clearly since you were young, young, young. And how do you advocate and help people begin to hear it 
that's one stage. And then, of course, there's a decision, am I going to listen to it and follow its advice? And that's the second stage. And I think this time around our show, this time for humanity, what I mean is this is a, a vitally important skill to develop because each of us are, our own, are, are on our own individual path. I love what you said earlier. You, um, when we had a prior conversation, you spoke, you spoke about we each have an evolutionary thread. That's what you called it. Mm. I really appreciated that. Yeah. How does each person find their own evolutionary thread, which is their path to awakening, and then again, a path towards contributing back to humanity, society? Mm. I love that. So there's some layers here. So I'm hearing a very first specific question about that voice that you that you asked me about. And then I, I love the introduction with the I am. And by the way, this is another intention of mine for the show. We're going to be teaching about consciousness, teaching about levels of consciousness, states of consciousness, like helping our listeners to really understand all of this. So, so to just to go first to that voice and then to go and the I am, because I, I want a time together because I saw something. And I heard the voice when you were asking that. Mm -hmm. And then going into the evolutionary thread, that evolutionary purpose that we have. So the, the thing that I saw when you were asking me, you, you began talking about the I am and how, how it's so easy to get pulled back into that place of separation. And I think it's really important that instead of fighting against it. We often hear in psychology, it's the death of the ego, that we have the spiritual development and we transcend. And, and yet, this I am that takes us, the I, me, individual, into the I am presence is kind of like this transceiver between these higher levels of consciousness and the human form, our humanness of, of where we're at. And it's almost like we need to develop our skills to be that transceiver, sending and receiving information from consciousness as a whole into the individual pieces and parts, just like my liver and my spleen and my heart and my lungs are sending and receiving and talking and the, the central nervous system is coordinating and all of these things are happening with the billions and billions of cells inside my body and they're coordinating all at the same time. And I think if we can see ourselves as part of this planetary body and yet part of this consciousness as one whole Thing that's there. That's where people go, well, if I'm the one, I'm not the individual. Well, it, it's a it's an and both kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. So this this idea of becoming a transceiver is kind of how I would explain that voice too. Mm -hmm. So that voice just was there at a young age. I was four years old. My whole worldview was formed from an early childhood near-death experience. So I didn't grow up without it like it was always there so like I remember going I was fed up with boys and dating in high school and I'm I'm I go to school one day after this dejected sense of of <laughs> myself as a sophomore in high school I'm, I'm like in school and I'm having this dialogue with 
my higher voice, whatever we want to call that thing that's there. And I'm like, it was a bad weekend. I I was left behind with a group of friends. Uh, one of the guys that I thought was really cute was being a jerk. And I'm like, uh. And I remember having this dialogue saying, you know, if I was going to marry someone someday, what kind of person would I want to marry? And the voice just said, oh, someone like Kevin Kroll. And I went, oh, okay, Kevin Kroll. And went about my day, like, who's Kevin Kroll? Like, who's this person? Like, And it was just this integrated part of my listening, my experiencing, my daily life. It's just that voice is always there. And so it wasn't weird or strange or like, where did that come from? Or who was that? Or who's talking inside of my, you know, it was so integrated that it even told me, who I was going to marry someday. And eventually, here I am, 40 years later, married to Kevin Kroll. So that voice just became that integrated. And understanding that transceiver, I like this image of, of, you know, if we think about a radio, we think about a television station, we turn the dial to different television stations, we turn the radio dial in, in our older listeners, remember the radios that literally you took the dial and you, you moved it and the transistor radio would go out into whatever that I don't know the science behind it, but it would, would go find that frequency and tune in to it. We all have our own unique way of listening to that higher consciousness, that larger awareness, that whatever we want to call that. I'm sure we're going to start kind of grooving our own language together, Paul, between you and I, and 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 we'll get what we call certain things. But I think that we all have our own way of doing that, whether it be clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairnostic, what you know, and and we're going to introduce a lot of those wisdom keepers in this series too, that some do it by signs. I can't wait till Simran Singh's book comes out, Signs. She talks about how the universe speaks to us in every given moment. We have those that, that have animal messages, angels, like the, there's all kinds of different ways that we're going to introduce to our listeners here that they get to tune into what really resonates with them. And I think I'll just close with that. It's so important for us to find what's ours vibrationally. We don't have to go out and get all of them. Like we might introduce some guests to you, then you're like, ooh, that doesn't sound good at all. It it might not resonate at all. And yet it's all a part of the whole that we're talking into. And I'll just barely go into that other piece of your question to me, which is about that evolutionary thread, that evolutionary purpose that I, I really do feel like each of us as a cell of this planetary home we call Gaia also is this relational, dynamic, living experience. And we each are here on the planet right here, right now for this evolutionary purpose that you and I both shared at the top of the the show with this vision that we had in evolving consciousness on the planet, evolving consciousness with humanity and and what we're here for. We have our own evolutionary purpose in that. And it's it's more than we used to call it our soul's purpose, right? Oh, find your soul's purpose and, and you'll be happy and healthy and you'll, you know, oh, my soul's purpose is to teach 
whatever it is, it's almost like, what is your evolutionary purpose? And how is that expressed inside now? So I'm, I'm looking forward to episodes where we can dig into some of these things in depth more. Me too. I've so appreciated all that you just shared. And I want to say for our listeners that I know that every person who's listening, if they don't have a very awake to their conscious mind voice, they have the voice. And as you said, there's always some effort by our inner life to catch our attention, to give us a little knowledge. And if people will just slow down and really listen, they'll find it. And it's often initially the voice that they'll have an information and they'll just ignore it. And then two hours later, it comes again. We're, we're trained. We're most conditioned socially in our positions of separation to ignore the very voice that we're now speaking about. And it's just, it's just a little bit of training. Once you've identified it, then you can work every day, another step, another step until as, as you've had so much of your life, it speaks to you. It gives you information and it's as natural as the sunshine. And you just, you just keep going forward. So I so appreciated that. Mm. And each of us finding our evolutionary thread, our purpose, and that's the journey. Yeah. So part of your journey, it, it would be interesting to see if you call this your evolutionary purpose, but part of your journey has been to come out of the closet in the world of science to write this book. And, you know, it's another reason to have the show, right? To, to, to share our experiences and to educate our listeners on the nature of reality, the nature of human consciousness, and that science has had it all backwards. Like we've been conditioned to not think like that. So, so like my experience when I was four years old, I began having this dialogue. And, and so to me, it was integrated and normal. And other people would go, what? That's crazy. So if science has had it backward, our friend Jude Curvan says, we now understand that mind and consciousness aren't something that we have, but rather what we and the whole world are. And you write, mind isn't the byproduct of matter, but the other way around. It is the foundation of everything that exists. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward, I'm going to ask you to expand on that, what that really means, but I'm really looking forward to layering that in the coming episodes that people really can understand how science has had it backwards and now where we're really at with science and, and really lifting up these experiences. So people go, Oh, okay. It's not this something I have to be afraid of or like several religions made it taboo, right? You're, you're going to go to hell. If you think like that, you'll be a heretic. You'll be, I had all those fears inside once I got religious training, you know, I'm like, what, where did that come from? So I'd love for you to, to really talk about that right now, Paul, as a premise of this show, science has had it backwards. I'll be looking forward to us going deep into that over time. And uh, yes, you're, you're right. From my point of view, and, you, and other traditions have mentioned this, consciousness is everything. I personally don't perceive anything that isn't consciousness, but consciousness takes innumerable forms. One of the forms it takes is mind. Mind is existing consciousness. It's an evolving, let's say, capacity and entity within consciousness itself. And of course, everything else that we see, other people, the trees, everything is the evolution of consciousness, which again, gets back to your work, Julie, the, the movement of consciousness towards wholeness. And it'll be interesting to discuss what does wholeness mean? 
in this context. Certainly there's back to the unity piece, but what's more and more wholeness of the consciousness? As far as the science piece, there's so much interesting information out there. And yes, you're right. Initially, this this so-called separation of science from the spiritual began with the religious divide probably about four centuries ago when Western science, as we know it, got its first start. Galileo and many others began to discover things that weren't jiving very well with the religious teachings at the time. And that ultimately led to, okay, we're going to separate this out and you guys take the mind and the spiritual and and you guys over here, which was more the, the, the science side, you take the physical. If any of our listeners are interested in learning more about this, there's a, there's a great book. There's a professor, Wouter Hanengraf, and he's a professor at Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And he took a sabbatical and he did a deep dive into this. He searched documents in, in the Vatican and a lot of other church histories. And he shows very clearly how this happened over a period of centuries, where things, certain categories, in the book he calls the other, the other. And that includes everything mystical, metaphysical. All that was purged out of the sciences, purposely, rejected, really. And and uh, there's many downsides to this, but one of them is over time that most people who really got to believe in the science and scientific method, then they personally rejected it. Not only rejected it, but then we've evolved to a point where many people don't even believe it exists. They think all that exists is the material dimension that they perceive in their state of separation. For them, that's reality, period. And many, many, many scientists hold this position and live it. For me, it's one of the sad, unfortunate states of the dominance of Western science in the world. Yeah, obviously, it's given us many great inventions and capacities for comfortable living. But at the same time, it's separated us from our fundamental identity, our mystical identity, our identity beyond the mind and body. That That's a sad state of affairs. But a lot of folks are working hard to overcome that. And as I wrote about in the book, Many scientists have rejected that separation too, and they've been working for their own spiritual growth and then where they can to change their uh, scientific work to try to loosen things up and have science, I I would say, come back into its own, meaning let's break down these walls where, where there's a whole dimension that science hasn't been able to tread. Let's dive in wholeheartedly. And, and let science, as, a, as an amazing method for gaining knowledge and insight and wisdom, work for us again. Work for us in terms of our quality of life and our spiritual, well, destiny in this case. I love that. This is a really big, big, big topic, Paul. And you write, and I, I love this quote, you write, transcendent and non-ordinary or mystical experiences can no longer be easily dismissed nor marginalized by the gatekeepers of mechanistic scientific orthodoxies. Yet, we know that the gatekeepers are still there. We even see it in places like TED and, and the TEDx talk world. There's, there's this big constituency that is pushing back and, and using terms like pseudoscience. So what would you say to, to those out there today, those scientists that are afraid? You write about this in the book. I think it's an important topic. Um, also for the religious, like even a lot of religions kind of, they say they embrace the mystical, but then there's this, whoa, I remember um, two different spiritual leaders 
of a Christian faith, when I began to have these conversations with them, like, I want to have this conversation with you. And they'd be like, ooh, new age, don't go there, it's dangerous. So so I have it from the religious side, you've had it from the scientific side. And, and you know, you haven't got your funding, you better not say anything. And it almost is like, you've said that the, the well, I, I love the idea that if we embrace this as an inherent truth, science just goes away, right? It's like it has to, it has to be rewritten. There's, there's the mechanistic science, the materialist scientists, it, it, like it doesn't exist after this. I'm just wondering, what would you say to scientists or even those who are afraid to share their own experiences with others? Where to begin? As far as what to say to scientists who have been afraid to share, that's part of the reason for the book, to find encouragement, uh, particularly young scientists, but also more seasoned uh, senior scientists, as, as we often call them, but also citizen scientists and also everyone, because this is all of our own inheritance, the spiritual journey, the consciousness development journey. And it's so interesting what you were describing about even in the religious spheres, spheres of life, we've often been inhibited from speaking about things deeply mystical. And one of the paradoxical, uh, let's say, after effects of the church back centuries ago saying, science, you can no longer do the spiritual side of things, the mystical, that over the centuries of development, science got to the point where it said, you know what? None of that stuff even exists. There is no mystical. There is no metaphysical. And so if you think about that and going back to the religious side, it's basically saying to the religions, you're all, it's all placebo. It's all, it's, you're devoted to something that's not even real. So science, which was uh, perverted in many ways back in the beginning when it was separated purposely by the church, that it can't go in this dimension, it ultimately rejected even the foundational dimension of the churches itself. Yes, all that has to change. How's it going to change? Individual scientists, certainly. Uh, Rupert Sheldrake, Professor Rupert Sheldrake, wrote this book some years ago, Set Science Free. Part of my book idea is set scientists free. Let people go, develop their own spiritual life. Let that change their science. Uh, if, it, if it doesn't influence everyone, well, in, in my fields of science, whether it's psychoneurology, behavioral medicine, there's, there's often this idea science changes, at least a specific field changes one death at a time. Because you have the old guard and they were raised in condition with a certain kind of science. So, for example, in psychoneurology, historically, the immune system was one thing, the nervous system is another thing, and they're completely, totally separate systems. But when psychoneurology evolved and it began to be shown, no, they're not. They're intimately related. They share agonists and receptors, and the whole thing is a beautiful dance between these two systems. Some of the old guard, ah, I don't believe it. This is this is bad experimental methodology. The designs are bad. They couldn't let it in. Well, we just had to wait till they move on out of science and pass along. And then the younger ones who had these new insights and the movement of one idea in science to the new one, then they take over. And many of the scientists waking up to the spiritual, it's reality. Let's Let's have them take over these scientific fields. And then then things will change the way we're describing we'd like them to. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I'm i excited about even just 
that notion about science. You said something to me a couple of weeks ago that just like kind of blew my mind, which is it doesn't happen very often. It's pretty rare nowadays where somebody would say something that opens my mind even more. And you said, what if science just goes away? What if, what if there is no science? What if we don't need science anymore? And you, there's, there's a quote in your book. I'm going to read this one because I think it's fascinating. So you wrote, the ongoing and promising research related to NDE supports the notion that it is not the consciousness of human beings that is dying, but rather the mechanistic worldview that appears increasingly outdated. And at first I read that as this pun, like this funny, like, oh, it's not, it's not that consciousness is dying, it's the science is dying, you know, and I, I heard that. But then I really heard what you were saying in that sentence that I think is so important, is that if we really embrace the research on NDEs, we cannot deny the, the consciousness studies now, which means that the whole field of science has to be remade or go away. And so when you said that a couple of weeks ago, like, what if there's no more science? It was just like, wow, you know, I've been in this mode of how do we transform all of our social systems? How do we evolve them? And, and how do, you know, my work is like working with the leaders of leaders, working with the leaders of change so that we can come into our own sectors and evolve them with this new understanding of unitive consciousness. And when you said that, it was like, yes, like, of course, a lot of these things can just go away, you know? You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Many things need to get out of the way. And by science getting out of the way, I mean, yes, the material, materialistic sciences, the uh, what's often called scientism. Scientism is a term developed many years ago to describe this idea that science is the ultimate arbiter of truth. Some folks have spoken about the scientific priesthood. Science really became what religion used to be. It's this massive authoritative structure telling us what's true, what isn't true, what's real, what's false. And so much of that is illusion. There's been a lot of work over the last probably 12, 13 years, just showing us that perhaps the majority of all the scientific literature in what's called PubMed.gov, which is a biomedical database of over 30 million scientific publications, that the majority, that means over half, and if not half, at least a good 30, 35% are false. The scientific publications, the findings are not even true. They can't be replicated. Now, on the one hand, you expect some of science not to be replicated because it's just somebody's developed on a hypothesis. They created a, an experimental design to study it. They publish it. And here's the finding. And it's not true, it turns out, because somebody else does another study and they can't replicate it. And another study is not replicated. That's okay. But to say that the majority of research out there, these 30 million plus studies is not true, that's an amazing thing to say. And there are many highly leading scientists like top tier scientists with over, you know, thousands of publications and so forth are saying the same thing. And there are many reasons why this has occurred. And I've given talks on it and we could get into that sometime too. But the point is science in our culture has been elevated to a level that it doesn't deserve to be. It doesn't have the kind of wisdom and information that people look towards it for. And that's one of the reasons too, when we talk about science needing to evolve and change is because 
I mean, here's a way of knowing with many people who are in that priesthood saying, you don't even have a mystical nature. How can they even say that? That's not based on knowledge. It's not based on experience. It's based on the exclusion of experience. It's based on illusion, a kind of hypnotic belief in materialism. That's what I'm also asking people to do, and you are, which is stop turning to external places for information about yourself and your own nature. Start heeding that inner voice. Turn your attention within. Be your own compass. Be your own guide for your spiritual life and spiritual development. And don't let the, uh, what do they call them, the... Um, the people in the, on the uh, monomyth, you know, the journey of heeding the call, and then you have the mentor show up, and then you have the adversary. We all come into adversaries in our life. Better not to uh, allow them to dissuade you on your own personal path. Yeah. And that hypnotic belief part that you said, I, I love that phrase, hypnotic belief, because we've been so encultured in systems that were designed in the consciousness of separation. It's just mm -hmm. how humanity has developed so far on this planet and the awareness. I love, I, I can't wait to have deeper conversations on a lot of these topics. But this idea that really it's important to go to the inner view, the inner view, I N N E R. And I, this is one of the aspects of the show that I'm introducing with the last couple series of, of the Dr. Julie show is going to the interview. So I'm going to ask you an interview question in a minute, but I want to see and check in with you. Um, if we have a few more for minutes, is there anything else that you want to say or ask me before I ask you about the interview? One more point about this idea of the materialism and the hypnosis of it. And I want to give you a brief story from the book. One of the scientists I interviewed, his name is Dr. Thomas Brophy. He, he's in Encinitas, California. He's the president of the California Institute for Human Science. And he had similar experience to other interviewees. And here's the experience. When he was young, he was very psychic. And he, like some of the others, had the capacity to know things about another person without the person telling them, whether it's which thoughts they're having or which cards are in their hand, playing just a game of cards, these sorts of things. And Thomas, demonstrated this capacity to his father on more than one occasion, clearly, convincingly demonstrated his psychic ability. And what did his father say? Despite the evidence, his father said, that's impossible. That's impossible. Science has proved, disproved that. Science has proved to us that that's not possible for the human mind to be psychic. Therefore, it's not possible. And he's like, well, dad, I, I just did it. And I did it again and again. To me, that's an example of, it's like a fundamentalistic adherence to a certain belief system that does not allow new information in, even when it's so contradictory. And that's a fascinating part of the conditioned mind we could get into sometime. But, and it's a, it's a sad kind of harmful way the mind can become so closed and not capable or willing to look out and evolve into new, new things. So there's that piece I just wanted to add as far as idea of hypnosis and in many ways all of us live in some kind of hypnotic conditioned reality and we're just asking each other to help let's help each other step out of it a question i have for you and this gets back to most of the work that i admire about you is that your evolution of your understanding that consciousness is evolving towards wholeness 
towards a new kind of unity. And I know this is an insight that you had when you were very young, uh, four years old, being shown that. And, the, and then again at 11. And one of my questions is, how did you understand that at, at, just, at such a young age? How did you take that in? And then when you took it in then, how does that shake out and compare to now you as an adult and all this other training and experiences that you've had? Where is humanity heading as far as this wholeness? What does that mean? Mm. Wow, that's a an amazing question. And again, layers and layers, like where do we take this today? Because I imagine this will be an unfolding during our series. And and we're going to bring guests on too. You know, Paul and I are going to have some, just the two of us, but we're going to bring these guests on too. Wow. You know, it really is hard to put into language what I experienced when I was four. And then having just a lifetime of these experiences. Like, literally, it's not like I had one experience and that was it and I'm trying to make sense of it. And a lot of people in their awakening process will say, yeah, I was awakened at this date on this time and this happened to me. And then, they, you know, it's just one experience and they're done. Like, I'm awake, right? I see it more like layering and layering and layering. Like we have this experience and it's come almost like, we peek over the horizon and see a little bit more and then we're in our human form and, and we have another experience and we peek out. And for me, those early experiences were just so ordinary that it wasn't non-ordinary. You know, it was like, okay, I left my body. I had this experience or, okay, I just heard that that person's not going to be here to teach next year and he's killed, you know, in an accident. It's like these from psychic phenomenon to non-ordinary states were so normal to me that even the conditioning and the, the external beliefs were there, but this was so much more real to me. So I went on the pursuit much like you and your other scientists in the book. So I've had this experience. This is my true nature. It's like my real, how I see reality. And then I went on the pursuit to get the education, to go into academia, to like, you know, get my master's degree, get my PhD and, and bring that in because of the world and how I saw the world. I think I'm going to hold off the conversation about wholeness and how I see that perhaps for another episode too, because this could expand into a 30 minute conversation. But for me, I wanted to show the world what I saw. I wanted to teach the world what I knew about consciousness, but I also wanted to be taken seriously. And I watched, and you probably will know exactly what I'm talking about. Listeners will know exactly what I'm talking about too. I watched the world judge these experiences as, oh, that's a flake. That person's a flake. That person, that's so woo-woo. I even had someone close to me in my life say, oh, there you go again, more of the woo-woo. You know, I, I watched it. I felt it. I saw it. And instead of me trying to teach from just that place, I had to ground it in 
another tradition. Like I had to ground it in something that I could be heard and seen by the world and the consciousness of separation. So I had to go into the consciousness of separation to really formulate my life's work, right? And and to be seen and heard so that we could begin to bridge that. And I, I love that you asked this question because for so many years, I felt like I was either that I was literally the bridge, like I would literally go across the bridge to mainstream consciousness, main street mystic is what we're calling this, this series, right? So I would go to mainstream consciousness, connect, and then it felt like I was then escorting people over the bridge, like, okay, here we go, you know, and I was just going back and forth as a bridge and as a guide on the bridge, like, okay, here we go, come on, let's go across this bridge. Until the last decade, and I heard clearly, you don't have to be the bridge anymore, stay firmly planted on this side, and there are going to be other people moving across the bridge now, but stay firmly planted. And I think when I heard that over the last year, Paul, what's what's wakened inside of me is not only letting the mystic out of the closet more publicly, but also that artist creative person inside of me. Like I have this radical artist that wants to get really radical and I've got to find her voice yet. I don't know that I have her voice. I'm an artist and, and I do art, but it feels like the artist part of me wants to come out at the same time of really letting this mystic out more broadly in a way that we're creating the direct experience of unity, this experience of wholeness in a lot of different ways and, and bringing in other artists, the musicians, the, the poets, the dancers, the visual artists. Like there's a part of me that's really excited about that potential moving forward. And, and we're on the precipice of that. I, I see this wholeness. We're on the dawning of this unitive age, the dawning of of really bringing us back into wholeness as a collective. And so I know I didn't answer completely about the wholeness piece, but I think this is a, a really good thing for us to make a note and, and go into more in the future because I think it's an exciting dawning of this age. And I, I look forward to really musing with you more, more and more and more and with our guests on these topics. And I'm looking forward to finding uh, more of that radical expression you were just speaking about. When you mentioned you were instructed not to keep going back over the bridge, to stay on the other side, so to speak. Yeah, my first question was, well, how has that affected you? How is that evolving you from just staying more firmly planted that? And you said partly it's activating your creative artistic sense, and that's pretty radical. We spoke too. We would like this show to have a kind of edge to it. So I can see that coming from what you just said, this radical part of you. What's the edge that we can identify? And then how do we move that edge forward so it's no longer an edge so much as just a place of invitation, people to step across that threshold into what they want, want to become? Well, I love that. I'm ready. I'm ready too. And, you know, I just want to drop this in because I think it's important when I heard to stay on this side of the bridge, like, it's okay, be right here. I also, like, saw how to do that more with vibrational frequency, and what that really means now. 
instead of like going over to communicate in our old ways of communicating, we're becoming the new media, like we're becoming these vibrational beings that with coherence and resonance, we're attracting more and rippling out and making a greater effect so that literally how we thought we would reach people through word of mouth, through old means of marketing, through our, our writing books, and you know, that literally we are evolving as this vibrational transceiver that literally, even without words, we're doing like you and I have the potential, Paul. This sounds really crazy right now. Maybe this is part of the edge, but you and I have the potential to bring this in so embodied that we're like that vision that we saw, that we become like the vision that we saw that ripples out and affects consciousness in a new way. So it's not just our words, right? It's not just communicating in the old way. So yeah, more to explore. More to explore. So let me just introduce this interview thing that I feel there are two things that I really want to include in this this series that I think are important and onward in that the interview is really inviting us to just take a breath and to come from that interview that you brought up first and invite our guests to speak from that place, to just have them, what's needing to be said right here, right now. So I'm wondering if you could just take a breath and go within to kind of wrap this up. And then I'll explain the second thing. If you went into the interview right now, Paul, what needs to be said in this moment as we wrap this show up and moving forward into this series? What's wanting to be expressed through Paul? I will say for each of us to find our inner voice, and that means our inner guidance, the information that comes from a deep soul level of our existence that's wanting us to move out of separation, back to oneness, back into that unity. And we'll speak about this later, but of course the unity is going to be a different unity than humanity left uh, way back when. Find that voice, begin to listen to it, be discerning, learn how to listen to it and ignore the noise that all of us so often have from our just our mind, as well as all the outer chowder uh, in our environment. And really, that's that's the message I'd like mm-hmm. to give now, because that's going to set each of us further along the way on our, our path. That was beautiful. That goes right into the second thing is a call to action. And, and your voice just now was a call to action. I'm wondering if there's anything else that you think is important for our listeners as far as a, a call to action in this moment. Tune in. <laughs> Tune into our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> tune into that inner voice and that inner air guidance and that inner view, and then tune into the next podcast. I love that. Let's just leave it at that. So, I traditionally close our show with quotes, and I want to I want to share um, with our listeners. Thank you for tuning in today, and I want to leave you with words from Paul in this beautiful book, Science Being and Becoming. If you want to go beyond your present state of consciousness, if you want to be happier to find love or to know yourself, dogmatic rationality blocks the way. Believe it or not, anything you can count, weigh, 
calculate, or measure is part of an all-embracing illusion. To grasp this fact will put you on the threshold of the real reality and your place in it. I'm Julie Kroll. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. This is the Main Street Mystic Series with Paul Mills. Together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. If you enjoyed the show, go to your favorite podcast platform. Remember to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Also, please consider supporting The Dr. Julie Show at patreon.com backslash all things connected. When we each give a little, we all get a little more. You can stay in touch with me at juliecrawlemail.com. Thanks for listening.